This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work at pcaac.org. This is Gifts and Graces. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Harry Reader on the mission, message, and ministry of the church. Harry is the senior pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. In this episode, Harry explains how your church's mission shapes your church's message. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered in June 2019 at the PCA General Assembly in Dallas, Texas. Let's listen to Harry Reader on the mission, message, and ministry of the church. So, well, let's pray. Father, I am grateful to you for the Lord Jesus, your Son, our Savior. We rejoice in what you have done and are doing in our lives and the enormous privilege that those sitting here and myself enjoy of leading your church, tending your flock, nurturing your sheep, feeding your lambs. Father, that is an extraordinary blessing, and uh, we, do not, uh, we do not discount the fact that, first of all, we are not worthy, secondly, we're not capable, and thirdly, we are amazed. But yet, how we thank you for your strength, your gifts, that you're with us, and that you direct us by your Spirit. Would you just please send the Holy Spirit, even in these moments, uh, to overcome the inadequacies of the one who speaks and to stimulate the hearts of those who hear. And I would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I want to um, so w- I want to tell you about Fallujah. I think that's where I'm going to start off. Uh, this is, as you know, is the I, I qualified as the longest title. Uh, The Interdependent Relationships Between Mission, Message, and Ministry in the Local Church. It was my uh, Puritan moment when I titled this, and I just couldn't, just how long can I make it? And uh, so um, I really didn't know how to shorten it, and uh, maybe you'll see why in just a moment as we get into it. How many of y'all know where Fallujah, Alabama is? There's Boaz, Alabama. There's uh, Utah, Alabama. There's... Fallujah, you don't know where it is. It's a uh, cell block at Bloody Bib in Brent, Alabama. That's what it's called, Fallujah. Two years ago, if you'd walked in Fallujah, if you'd walked in Fallujah, that's what they called it, that cell block, you would have seen fistfights, particularly between blacks and whites, the Aryans and the, pan- uh, the, um, the Black Panthers. Uh, you would have seen men walking around with needles out of their, sticking out of their arm, telling you, uh, just a minute, let me finish. 
in that dorm. You would have seen bunk beds, and please excuse this, I won't get any more graphic than necessary. You would have seen bunk beds with the sheets on the top spread over, creating a curtain, and men engaged in homosexual sex uh, all over the door, uh, underneath those curtains. You would have heard it, seen it. That's what would have been going on. You would have seen the the uh, illegal but intentional segregation, black, white, and Hispanic. And you would have been honestly frightened. I don't care who you are in here. I don't care what you did, even you, Paul. You would have been frightened to walk through that door. And uh, I was just there a couple of weeks ago, walking through talking with them. Today, if you go in there, you'll see no segregation. Blacks, whites, Hispanics, they're in the bunk cubicles staying together. You would see no sexual activity at all, no homosexual activity at all. You would see two libraries filled with books from the Briarwood bookstore You'd see a computer with guys taking online seminary courses from Birmingham Theological Seminary. You'll see uh, blacks and whites and Hispanics sitting down at study cubicles together, talking, sharing. And uh, on Sundays, you would come and meet with a church plant of Briarwood Presbyterian Church called the Church Behind the Walls. Now, by the way, in this particular one, we don't have a lot of discussion about women in ministry. Uh, but, uh, uh, and it'll never become a particular church. Uh, but it's one of our, at Briarwood, we have these things called congregational communities. And, uh, and some of them are language-oriented, Hispanic uh, church community, congregational community, and uh, Korean and Japanese and Chinese, and, um, and they're one of our congregational communities. My, if you meet my son, I think he's here today um, and somewhere. Is he here? Okay, tell him he got called out, all right? <laughs> if you had seen my, uh, if you seen my son, he was there preaching at Church Behind the Walls last Sunday. Uh, and, uh, well, Briarwood, they, no, you know, actually we didn't start it. Uh, they came to us and they said, you know, all these other things out here, we want a church with Reformed theology and good worship. And all these people that come out here on Sundays, that's just not it. Could y'all help us? So today you'll see 120 plus uh, there uh, every Sunday. And uh, they love it. They embrace it. They enjoy it. Uh, they ask for it. And you can meet um, uh, Chaplain Bull. Uh, Chaplain Bull or Chaplain Jones, Chaplain Jones, Chaplain Bull, who are down there. You could meet um, uh, Paul Golden from our church. I think he's here. You can go ask him, is, is Harry being honest about this? Uh, is this really happening? And uh, you'd see him in there worshiping with a call to worship, order of worship, confession of truth, singing hymns and, and good contemporary stuff and uh, and, uh, just, and they even have their own little choir. Uh, it's really amazing. The soprano section's a little light, but uh, it's really a great, uh, a great experience to see it, to be a part of that worship. 
And then during the week, you can go to where Briarwood, uh, Birmingham Theological Seminary out of Briarwood has our uh, seminary there, and you can meet the 12 cohorts. Uh, how did it get there? Well, we got invited by a guy uh, to come there. His name was Jeff Dunn. And Jeff Dunn was led to Christ, and uh, he was led to Christ and discipled under the ministry of Dr. Barker at Briarwood, went on into the Air Force. He came out. He's now the director of corrections in the state of Alabama. He went over to South Carolina and he saw this amazing ministry uh, and what was happening in about 12 of the prisons that were being turned around. And, that, uh, and he found out they were meeting uh, that Columbia, um, you remember Columbia Bible College? That's now the Columbia International University. They were there doing theological classes and Bible studies and certificate degrees. And he came to us because we had Bible studies and our people were visiting Bloody Bib every week doing evangelism and discipleship. And he said, would y'all consider doing something more formal with Birmingham Theological Seminary? Well, that was the birth of it. And then two prisoners volunteered to leave South Carolina and come over to Bibb and get right in the middle of Bloody Bib in order to help us get it started, who were in the program over there. And now we've already graduated one cohort, and now we're with another cohort. It's very interesting for me to sit there, and in front of me, the last time I was there to teach, was the guy that was the head of the Aryan, uh, Alabama Aryan organization. Next to him was the guy who was with the Black Panthers. Between them, they have at least eight homicides praying together, holding hands, talking. <laughs> Arian is sitting there all tatted up, and, and uh, how would you come to Christ? Well, I was in isolation. I'd kill somebody. And an African-American who used to be with the Muslims, black Muslims, hollered across the yard at me when I was out for my 30-minute walk in the cage, hollered at me. I got three words for you. I looked at him and he said, Jesus loves you. Of course, I told him I've got more than three words for you. <laughs> then he said, I got three more words for you. I forgive you. My sister had just bought me a Bible, he said. I went back and read it, became a Christian. Now he's in our seminary. Now he helps with one of the small groups. And now he's in what we call our jumpstart program. Started out of South Carolina, out of these inmates. Do you know what the recidivism rate is nationally? 80, 82%. Do you know what it is in Alabama? 87%. Do you know what it is in our jumpstart program? 6%. Now, why am I telling you all of this, given the title I've given to you? Because here's what I want you to know. We didn't go in there to do a drug rehabilitation program. We didn't go in there to do a homosexual uh, liberation emancipation program. We didn't go in there to do um, racial reconciliation. We sent people in with the Great Commission to evangelize and disciple. And guess what you do when you evangelize and disciple people? 
you teach them to observe, what's the next word? All that I have commanded you. And guess what happens? They begin to reconcile, and they're pastored toward it. They begin to be set free from the bondage of addictions. They begin to order their sexuality and no longer engage in something just to fulfill an animal-like, uh, an appetite in an animal-like fashion. Uh, it is absolutely astounding what you saw there. Racial reconciliation, drug uh, uh, emancipation, um, homosexual uh, eradication, uh, all of those things took place. Reading the Bible, studying the Bible. All of that took place, and there's something that's a real key here, and folks, if we miss this, we're in trouble. Have you ever had something where you're glad that you get a great turnout for, but you kind of wish you had access to everybody, not because of you, but because of the content and the subject matter that you know you're not going to do justice to, but at least people need to consider? Well, that's what I'm doing today. I'm talking to you today about the church being on mission on message, and in ministry. Now listen to me. If we don't stay on mission, we'll lose the message. I don't care how many times we vote to uphold the confession. We'll find a way to get around it. On mission, on message, and in ministry. So you've got your Bibles, right? So I'm going to ask you to turn to a passage of Scripture. I don't know if you've been there before. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All right, let's start at 16. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now, please don't just say, well, my goodness, Great Commission. Do you know how many times I've heard that? I'll guarantee you I've heard it more than you have. Uh, I grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. And uh, we didn't have one missions conference every year. We had one whenever the pastor thought we ought to have one. Our faith promise, I can still remember the ad machine up on the card table, which is the only sanctified use of a card table uh, in uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance world. And the accounting machine, and some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You just go to the museum, you'll see one. And it's got an arm and you pull it, and I can still hear that arm and people bringing up their faith promise and we're singing. And he goes over there and looks at it and says, that's not enough, keep singing. And uh, we're going to be there till he decides faith promises, given what it needs to be. And then we'll have another conference just in case somebody didn't make it. We'll have four or five missions conferences. And every mission speaker was absolutely convinced our church had never heard the Great Commission before. <laughs> I'll never forget one guy. He was preaching from the Great Commission. He said, Great Commission. What's the greatest word in the Great Commission? What do you think he said? Come on. What do you think he said? Go. I'll never forget his outline. Go, most important word in the Bible. You take go, you take go out of gospel, you got spell. <laughs> take go out of good, you got odd. You take go out of God, you got a D. I was just wondering how long he's going to keep that up. I mean, he had my attention at 12 years old, I promise you. He had my attention. And so, uh, but I tell you, I've enjoyed, I'll never forget sitting in uh, Westminster uh, Chapel and hearing Dr. Fuller, um, the president of the seminary, uh, go through the four alls, the pontes, uh, go and make disciples of every single nation. 
go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son. Oh, well, let me start with the first one. All authority, every authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all, every single nation, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe Every single thing, everything in Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. That includes where Bible reading dies every year, the book of Numbers. Every single passage is absolutely uh, there for a reason that's profitable. And um, so everything, you teach them all that I have commanded you, every single thing that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you every single day until the end which of course is the beginning of eternity. Look with me in that Matthew 28. Go back to verse 16. So what did the disciples do when they first see Jesus? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And uh, of course, if I'd been Matthew, I'd have put in there, I wasn't one of them. I wasn't one of them. But at least the scripture is very honest, isn't it? Some doubt it. I mean, they're still processing this thing. And so, uh, and so, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, of course, we know the word, we know that the word go is actually better translated as you are going. And there's three participles. As you are going, do what? Make disciples. As you are going, do what? Baptize them. Uh, I'll teach you, Herbie, how to do that later, okay? Uh, it's my Baptist brother over here. I mean, I keep trying to get him in the PCA so he doesn't have to change denominations when he gets to heaven, but he, he won't do it. <laughs> All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So what do you do? You're going to make disciples. You are baptizing or enfolding the believer in the household into the body of Christ as you trace through the 22 reference baptisms in the New Testament. They were added to the church. And then you do what? Teaching them. So how do you make disciples? You make disciples by, by evangelizing, going, by um, enfolding that they love one another and they they're enfolded into the body of Christ. And then what do you do? You teach them. You equip them. And then what's the end product? They become, instead of falling short of God's glory, they begin to rejoice in giving glory to God, which is why at the end of three years of discipleship, as soon as they see Jesus, what do they do? Worship. I like the way my brother Skip Ryan put it one time. Uh, first base is evangelism. Then second base is enfolding, third base is equipping, and then you hit a home run when those who rebelled in idolatry, which is the root of every sin, those who rebel in idolatry now enjoy latria, that is giving glory to God in spirit and in truth. And that is that disciples. Folks, that's our mission. That's our mission. If I go to your churches now, many of you uh, who are Bible-believing churches and you're committed to the Word of God and you've got a mission statement, have you ever noticed how when you go and see mission statements and read them in evangelical churches, they're all about the same? They're all about the same if they're a Bible-believing church because we all are working from the same four texts of Scripture. <laughs> Matthew 28, Acts 1, uh, four through nine, 
Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 20. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. We're all working from the same text. And the only thing different is how we're wordsmithing it. Why? Because the mission of the church is narrow. It is narrow. The product of the church is expansive. We produce what? This isn't hard. I'm not trying to trick you. We produce what? For God's glory. Disciples who have learned to do what? All that God has commanded. Therefore, our product is expansive. Our mission is focused. This is what we're called to do. How did we get Fallujah? Timeline. I've got some wonderful people at Briarwood that are going to all of our prisons every week to do evangelism and discipleship. 20-something years. Over the objections of wardens who think it's politically correct to stop them. Not exactly a receptive audience. An audience full of con artists. It is a challenging situation. But they just kept going. And then a guy that when the church did its job of evangelism and discipleship, got converted and discipled, went into the Air Force, comes out and goes to public service as the director of prison, prisons in the state of Alabama, realizes, I need to get Jesus here. Now, I need to work for better dorms. I need to do all that. I'm a Christian. I want to make sure where I'm overseeing things, people got food, shelter, clothing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep asking for money from this uh, chintzy um, uh, Alabama Senate. I got to be careful because I got two, uh, two senators in my church. So, uh, but I'm going to keep asking for money, but I know what I really need is I need to get Jesus behind those walls. That's what I really need. And boy, what if I had some highly committed prisoners who were really serious about their walk with the Lord in theology? What if I had them embedded, particularly those who will never leave? They're in it forever. This isn't, I'm going to go to a seminary class because I'll get parole. <laughs> These guys are in it. They're just glad they didn't get the death sentence. But they did get life sentences. Now, we've got a few exceptions, but that's basically who we get. What if they go through something and learn it and sign on to agreement, I'll then leave this prison and I'll go to help you start another one of those in another prison and I'll be the two prisoners that transfer. And we agree to do that. And what about the people that we begin to teach in our small group Bible studies will enroll in a jumpstart program and they know one strike, you're out. And what if the honor dorm... What if the honor dorm right now, and I'm not going to tell you, right now there's an honor dorm at Bibb County. There's another church that has a bay, there's an, and there's another ministry that has a bay, and then we have a bay. Every time, just this last, just two weeks, I think it's two weeks ago, they did an unannounced raid. As has been the case for over a year, they found no sexual instruments, no Drugs, no needles in our bay. The other two, honor bays. They brought it out by scores. This one, they found none. And that happens every time. And by the way, the reason I know this is one of the officers from Alabama 
a legal enforcement agency that did it is the guy that y'all been reading about that we have hired in order to take over the world, our police force. Uh, can I, I know some of y'all read, can I explain that to y'all? Public schools get to do a school resource officer. You pay for it. We now got included with private colleges and institutions, religious most of them, with the opportunity to hire one that's been trained that we pay for so that the 20 to 40,000 women and children that go through our campus every week now have protection and we have had lethal threats and we have had uh, bomb threats and everything. So we want to provide that for them. So we got permission to do that. Now, I know it sounds like a conspiracy to take over the world, but that's what we did. That guy was a part of this task force that went in with the raid. He used to be a U.S. Marshal. He said, Harry, you wouldn't believe the Jumpstart Bay. Clean as a whistle. And it's happened every single time. So we got that started, and then they said, you know, we just want to worship. We, I mean, we know these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're not looking for the fluff. We want solid preaching, teaching, and worship on the Lord's Day. Can you provide for us a pastor? Better than that, we can provide for you. Now, you'll be an extension of the church, the church behind the walls. And uh, so we'll provide a pastor and elders to oversee you and all of those things to happen. And then, uh, but, but guys, I want you to see, and then out of that comes uh, the unbelievable uh, emancipation of drugs and sexuality and racial reconciliation as these guys are being discipled with the reconciling, redeeming, ransoming, renewing power of the gospel. And we're staying on mission. And then they begin to infiltrate that everywhere. Guys, that is a picture of what I'm trying to tell you has to happen today. But we got to stay on mission. We got to stay on message. What time do I, am I done? Can somebody, I mean, I know some of you say you're done now, but I'm. I, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 come on, tell me. I, I don't want to get, what is it? 10 15, thank you. So I'm going to try to leave room for some QA here. So, uh, so I want to be pretty much to the point. I don't have much else to say than this. You got to stay on mission, on message, and in ministry. Now, but, but I want you to understand something. You will not stay on message if you don't stay on mission. The longest time, guys, I'm a confessional Presbyterian. I am absolutely committed to it. I, I had the great joy of being raised in, one, in a wonderful environment of Christian Missionary Alliance. I was converted under the ministry of the Reformed Presbyterian Church Evangelical Synod. I had my foray for five years in the Reformed Baptist, and I, I landed in the PCA for two reasons. Number one was the depth of the Reformed theology. Number two was the breadth of the evangelical spirit. Those are the two reasons I landed there. I didn't want to go where it was just us four, no more, shut the door. And I didn't want to go somewhere where I, didn't, I had to apologize for teaching the whole counsel of God. And so I loved it. And I, was, I came in gladly. And I came in because I saw a great commission, great commandment with a great commitment church imperfect, somewhere between zero and 100% in achievement and effectiveness. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> so I wanted to be a part of that, to grow with it, to learn from it, and to see what the Lord would do and how it was doing. But I love that great commission. I mean, I, could, I, I felt the warmth that I felt growing up 
my grandfather was on the original Billy Graham team, and I grew up uh, just you know, with the Graham family. I grew up in evangelical Christianity. I rebelled against it and went into the depths of depravity in a very far country, and God called me back home to himself. And as he called me back home to himself, I loved his church. I just automatically, when I came through seminary, I had a number of opportunities to go to parachurch organizations, and I am for parachurch organizations. Please hear me. I, there's, I, as long as they're faithful to God's word and stay with their purpose that the church wants, I'm fine. But I then began, I, instead of parachurch, why not go to the deal, the church? And why not pastor God's people? Jesus said he loved his church and gave himself for it. Why don't I, I just want to love what Christ loved and I want to love his people. And God, if you call me to minister to them, would you help me do it? Uh, you don't, you have, don't have much, but you got me. Let's go for it. And then so I wanted to, but then I began to realize that one of the marks of the church is it had to be faithful to its message. But I'm going to tell you something that's an absolute truth. I, I believe this. We lose the message not so much by the undermining of theological liberalism. Theological liberalism becomes embraced by the undermining of our biblical mission. I'm convinced of that. I am absolutely convinced of that. I think our antenna is rightly up to theological liberalism. I think where we're having our issues and what we're looking at and what we always need to be aware of, and by the way, we're primed for Satan's work. Just go read church history. Go read the book of Judges. Every 40 to 80 years, every institution, every church, every organization that started out with its mission, started out with its vision, begins to tinker with it, and before long, they've gone astray unless God raises up a leader who will give it direction. I've had the privilege to watch that with my dear brother Peter Lilback at Westminster Seminary, his absolute determination. I got the opportunity to watch that with Rick Canada and Ligon uh, Duncan. I got that. The, uh, um, Lig, yeah, that's it, right? Ligon Duncan, I know Mel. I didn't want to mess up there. Uh, they have a little rivalry. And, uh, so, but uh, but Ligon, and I've seen, that, I've seen that time and time again, for which I'm, I've seen it in organizations and churches. I have a ministry that we're involved in called Embers to a Flame. And here's another area. This, this is a deep concern. I'm grateful that we're talking about revitalization, finally, in this denomination. The Apostle Paul had two initiatives. Oh, Thank you. Hey, thank you. You're a great guy. Would you like a job? Oh, you've already got one. Okay. So that's our missions pastor. <laughs> He's coming to make sure I don't get messed up. So um, I forgot, where was I? Somebody remember where I was? Revitalization. Thank you. But what I'm hearing are the products of revitalization. Diversity in the church, reconciliation in the church. That's not revitalization. That's the consequences of revitalization. The desperately valued and desired consequences. Revitalization is renewing the spiritual health of the church from the leadership and permeating all of the membership. And that's what leads people to say, how utterly stupid is it of me to say I love God and then hate this person made in the image of God? I've been discipled to know that's utterly stupid. 
And how, and why would I not, and I think I heard Rick quoting it yesterday, today, the seek the good of the city. Why would I not do that? But I don't let the city define the good. God's word defines the good. That's what I'm committed to. And why and how do I do that in the church? I don't do that by becoming a legislative body, although we speak to legislation. I don't do that by becoming um, an adoption agency, although we produce people who start adoption agencies. Well, I don't do that. What, what is it I do? I pastor people who will make disciples who will do four things from Great Commission. Number one, they had the ministry to God of up preach called worship in spirit and in truth. Number two, they have a ministry to the world of outreach called evangelism. That is taking the gospel indiscriminately to all the world. They don't, we don't go looking for good ground to throw seed. We throw the seed everywhere. Because you know what? There's a lot of good ground that's actually thorny ground, rocky ground, and hard ground. And by the way, there's a lot of hard ground. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ground you think is hard, rocky, and thorny. Actually, God's using you to make it good ground. So all we do is just throw the seed. That's what we do. God monkeys with the soil. We just throw the seed. And where do we throw it? Everywhere. Even on the path that I'm walking on top of. We throw it Everywhere. That we are making decide there we here's the term I like to use. I'm getting in trouble when I do it, but here's what I believe in. I believe in evangelizing everyone, everywhere, every day, everybody. I believe in that. So forget E E. That's five E's, okay? That's your E E E E E E in ministry. <laughs> evangelizing everybody, everywhere, every day. All right? So just evangelize. That's what you're producing out of the church of Jesus Christ, which penetrates the society. So and that so what's when you make disciples, what do you do? You teach them all that God has commanded, that leads them to the ministry of worship, upreach, the ministry of upreach, worship to God, ministry of outreach, the gospel to the world, evangelism, the ministry of inreach, we learn to love one another and with one another bring the love of Christ to the world. And then the last thing is equipping, that we're learning. I call it a well Christian. W-E-L-L, worship, evangelize, love, and learn out of making disciples. And then that will absolutely astound you at the ministries it produces in this world. So um, again, I want to uh, leave room for some time and for some questions. So let me, let me go to it this way. The other week, I was preaching on the sanctity of life and we brought in ministries that help us with the sanctity of life. I can't name them all, but there were eight that we support and uh, are engaged in um, and, um, and, uh, and, and are grateful for. Um, one was Herbie's ministry, Lifeline, Adoption Agency. We have a foster care ministry. I forgot what it's called now, but a foster care ministry. We actually do the training for the state of Alabama in foster care. Isn't that amazing? It's astounding. So we have a foster care ministry. Uh, thirdly, doctors for life. Fourthly, this will astound you, lawyers for life. Praise the Lord. I mean, now there's a, there's a kingdom invasion right there. Uh, lawyers for life. Abortion recovery shop, uh, recovery ministry. Crisis pregnancy center. Ours is called um, Save a Life. Um, and, um, uh, and then... Uh, 
and then the Briarwood Pastoral Counseling Center and Abortion Recovery. And, uh, and all of, uh, so all eight of them were up there, and we prayed for them in the worship service. As I was sitting there, I realized seven of those eight ministries were started by members of Briarwood. Why did that happen? We didn't start it. Our members did. Why did they do it? Now, guys, listen, if you want to know all that's wrong with Briarwood, I'll tell you. Oh, my goodness. Just come on, pull up a chair, bring a glass of sweet tea. It'll take a while. We are somewhere between zero and 100 percent effective. But this is some places that I rejoice. And I do it because I followed the great focus ministry of a wonderful man of God, Frank Barker. In fact, I was thinking that last time I was in Dallas was my first year at Briarwood. And somebody said, why did you go to Briarwood? And I said, well, I'm the most qualified man. They said, you're what? I said, I'm the most qualified man. I step into a church in which the pastor's son is running the sound. The pastor's wife is running the outreach ministry. I mean, the pastor's daughter and wife are running the outreach ministry. Pastor's son's on staff. The son-in-law's on staff. Pastor's son's on staff. The pastor is a 40-year legend, one of the most godly men I've ever met. Only a fool would follow this. <laughs> and I am the, so, sitting over there at Yo's Barbecue Ranch or whatever it is. I said, I'm the most qualified because I'm the biggest fool I know. And uh, so all of, I mean, I, this, I just, I've, I'm surfing on it. I thank the Lord for it, but I sure have learned from it. What I've learned from it is you, the church has got to stay on mission to stay on message. Your message will ultimately be shaped by your mission. Your message will ultimately be shaped by your mission. So you got to stay on message and in ministry. Your ministries as a church are designed strategically to fulfill your mission. Now, by the way, the ministries of the church are basically the means of grace. Delivered in large groups, in small groups. That's what it is. That's what, your, that's what your ministry is. That's what you do. So then when you do that, you are developing disciples who have a, have a new heart, a heart for Christ, who have a mind of Christ, and now who have a life for Christ, and that invades every area of society. So when we stay on mission, on message, and in ministry, lives change. And when lives change, families change. And when families change, neighborhoods change. And when neighborhoods change, communities change. And when communities change, states change. That's why Alexis de Tocqueville was right when he was amazed at what was happening at this thing called the American Experiment and said, it's great, but it will be great only so long as its churches are great. I'm, my one foray into politics and in my 10-minute podcast daily today in perspective is going to be this statement now. The reason the First Amendment, with its six affirmations and its first affirmation of freedom of religion, was debated for the least amount of time of anything else in that, in that debate was because they knew that's what they needed. 
It's an amazing thing in God's providence. We have a nation that declared its independence uh, with, uh, with basic commitments to uh, God-given rights. And, and God's providence, against all odds, won it. Then when it won its independence, instead of becoming France, anarchy and destruction, something different changed. Why? Because they ordered their liberty with law. And then came what was absolutely crucial from the influence of Christians who had been discipled. Boy, if you didn't hear what, what Rick said was so true. Oh, I'm, and I, I don't want to get off of, off of this. But if whenever churches and pastors in the name of contextualization get over contextualized and assimilated into the culture, then the culture will begin to shape their message. The only sins we'll preach against are the ones that the culture applauds. The ones that culture disdains, we're strangely silent in our pulpits. It begins to shape us. John Newton would have no part of it. The Clapham Society would have no part of it. Thus they produced a William Wilberforce who over 43 years got rid of slavery through persuasion and in ministry because he had been discipled. And every time he wanted to give up battling his Crohn's disease and everything else, Newton and the Clapham Society kept him in the battle and stayed with him. And, and he got to see it right before he dies, the basic fruits of that victory. What would have happened? We had the best preachers, the best preachers in the 19th century. What would have happened if our Southern Presbyterian preachers, who are extraordinary, I read them all the time, had not gotten over-assimilated into the Southern culture and had produced Wilberforces, who did not try to take indentured servitude and slip in chattel slavery, which is opposed in the Bible, called man-stealing? What would have happened? But the church got off mission. It mission became a handmaiden of the culture. And it can't do that. We can't ever let that happen. We have to stay on our mission to stay on our message. If you begin to let the culture shape your mission, it will eventually shape your message. Our ministry should be to bring, bring God's word to bear upon people as we make disciples who reach up in worship, out in evangelism, in in love, and down in learning. That's what we need to do. That's what God's called us to do. And when that happens, then you begin to see lives change, families change, communities change, neighborhoods change, because God's people are salty now. And the salt, when it gets out of the salt shaker, starts changing everything. You say, hey, boy, the church is real small. Now, listen, uh, yeah, it's real small, but it doesn't take much salt to change things. I mean, listen, I, my, grand, my grandmother's green beans, chew-wee. They cook all day. I had a lady come to our, one of our Pot Providence dinners at Briarwood. She brought green beans, and I, they crunched. I, could not, I never had crunched green beans in my life. <laughs> and so you know what I say is she's standing right there. Did somebody forget to cook these? I had a lot of pastoral makeup work to do there. And, uh, but, but my grandmother, when she, I mean, you know, I mean, a little fat back, a little bacon, but there's going to get some salt. But it didn't take much salt. My wife makes it. She's here today. My wife makes these, this wonderful corn on the cob, which she cooks it. She calls it Mexican grill something. I don't know what it is. 
And, uh, but I know what it is. Do you know what makes that corn on the cob so good? Come on, you know, don't you? Salt and butter. Well, when I eat that and I tell her thank you, I don't ever get up and say, hey, that was awesome salt. That was just great butter. I say, no, that was great what? Corn on the cob. And that's what happens to a society when the salt is put into it and it's salty. If the salt isn't salty, just keep it in the salt shaker. But if it's salty, when it gets out, it begins to permeate, penetrate, and purify everything where it goes. But it can't be salty if we, the leaders, let the church get off mission. It's got, we've got to keep the church on mission. And when we get off mission, then the message will begin to be shaped from the pulpit and in the leadership to fit the new, the new functional mission. Oh, you may still have the motto, making disciples, but now you've actually got a functional mission that's different than that. And therefore, your message will soon begin to be uh, developed to support the functional mission that you're doing. So I'm going to give you three takeaways, all right? Here's the three takeaways, and then I'm going to stop to see if you have any questions in the last five minutes. So question, uh, takeaway number one is this. Takeaway number one, the church's mission. Now, by the way, again, these won't fit on a bumper sticker, so I'm sorry. And uh, I decided to go old school instead of putting it up here. Uh, The church's mission, the church's mission is narrow and focused. While a Christian's mission is broad and comprehensive. A, 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 a church's mission is narrow and focused. We're to make disciples who worship, evangelize, love, and learn. That's our focus as a church. That's what God's called us to do. And that given mission must become our functional mission. It's narrow, it's not, dare I say, sexy, it's not exotic, it's not innovative. So you're not going to be interviewed by Christianity today. Probably won't. Listen, leading the church is very much like preaching a sermon. You have high, we work hard at exegesis to be faithful. We work hard at introductions so people will not start coloring in zeros in the bulletin after the first two minutes. And guys, you do know that. Your two-minute warning is not at the end of the sermon. It's at the beginning. You got two minutes, so they're going to start coloring in zeros or go to their, go to their iPhone. So you, you got two minutes to get them. And then... Um, uh, and then, uh, and then you work on illustrations, and uh, con- uh, and you work on um, uh, aphorisms, and you work on the connecting tissues of the points. You do all that work, and you really try to bring prayerful, biblical, God honoring creativity. But if people walk away from your sermon or my sermon talking about our innovation then we are terrible preachers. If we're doing our job, they walk away talking about the text and its implications. And our innovation is simply to highlight the text, not us, nor our innovations. Same thing about church. 
Our idea is not to do this exotic church that everybody wants to write about and come to, our, come to us and so they can unplug us and plug in where they are. We want to honor Christ by staying on His mission that He's given us with His message. And we, when we do the message, teach all that He's commanded. Now, we've got enough sense to know some things in the Bible are primary, some things are secondary, some things are tertiary. But here's my other little shot across the bow here. I agree with that. I agree. You can get, for instance, ordination, the doctrine of ordination, wrong in the church. You can get it wrong and still get to heaven. I mean, my goodness, you can get church government wrong and still get to heaven. I mean, you don't have to be a Presbyterian to get to heaven. Wouldn't take a chance, but I, you don't have to. <laughs> but, but listen, please remember this. The theological errors that are embedded in getting the secondary issues wrong will eventually lead to getting the primary doctrines wrong. You can make hermeneutical primary errors on secondary doctrines. And that eventually leads to the primary doctrines in the next generation. So we, but we want to teach, we understand some truth primary, some secondary, some tertiary. That is, there's some things that you can get wrong and still get to heaven. We realize there's Apostles' Creed, Evangelical Christianity, Westminster Confession, we understand that. We understand 101, 201, 301, we understand that. But what makes 301 so wonderful is first chapter. What? Scripture. That's where all of our doctrine comes from. And you'll notice in that first chapter, it lists all 66 books. It lists all of them. And that everything is inspired and errant and profitable. So we are teaching all that is commanded. Our mission is narrow and focused with the glorious, penetrating, life-changing power of the gospel through the whole counsel of God. Paul said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Why? I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So yes, the Christian's mission is narrow and focused while a Christian, well, I mean, the church's mission is narrow and focused while a Christian's mission is broad and comprehensive. One other word about that. So pastors, this is tough. Elders, this is tough. Unordained leaders in the church, you also join in this. You've got to lead the church to stay focused on its penetrated, pervasive message, narrow mission, and biblically assigned ministry. But at the same time, you have to model personally the comprehensive, broad, expansive mission of the Christian. They, you have to model for them what you are focused doing in the church. Does that make sense? All right. I, I, I really want you to get this point. This is a challenge for us. Uh, you've got to stay, you've got to lead the church to stay focused on its narrow mission with its glorious, uh, pervasive message in its assigned ministry means. And you've got to be, you've got to have a sanctified ruthlessness on this. But on the other hand, on your personal life, what you're trying to get on the other end of the funnel 
what you're trying to see come out in their lives as they worship, evangelize, love, and learn, you want to be a model of that broad, comprehensive mission of every Christian. Whether you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's their comprehensive mission. As they, yes, glorify God and enjoy Him forever, comprehensively, eating, drinking, sex, uh, life, knowledge, dominion, all those things, all of those God-given appetites that the sin nature disorders, now the sin nature has been broken, you've been born again, and the power has been broken, now you're equipping people who are forgiven because of the finished work of Christ to now follow Christ into every area of life where King Jesus is going to be exalted. And you now model that in your life as they watch you do hospitality, as they watch you think through political campaigns, as they watch you not become a political party, but equip them to deal with politics, just like everything else, and you model it <clears throat> without becoming... Now, there's a big challenge for me. That's why I never... I never know some CNN erroneously reported... I'd never, in fact, I do not allow people on the staff and under the session's direction to do any political endorsements. Not because I don't think they can, but because I'm not going to do it because whatever I endorse, I just took Briarwood with me in the public. So I don't do it. Secondly, I got a lot of people that, uh, who's Harry voting for? I mean, I do this all the time. I'll preach on issues and they'll come up to me and say, <clears throat> now, Pastor, who are you going to vote for? I'm not telling you. I'm not going to tell you because I don't want you to simply parrot me. I want you to think. I want you to pray. I want you to work through this. I want you to think about it. But I, want, but I am going to be engaged. I'm going to be engaged in every arena of my community that I possibly can trying to be faithful to Christ because I need to be a model as well as a mentor of the ministry of a church. That's the challenge that you and I have. But, we, but the principle is the church's mission is narrow and focused while a Christian's mission is broad and comprehensive uh, in its impact as they do all that he has commanded. And whether they eat or drink or whatsoever they do, they would do to the glory of God. Here's the second takeaway. Ultimately, ultimately, your functional mission in ministry will shape your message. If you decide, I'm, 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 so I'll go ahead and get in trouble, okay? If you decide the, the functional mission of your church, notice what I said. I doubt if any of us would ever verbally change it. But if the functional mission of our church becomes social justice, we'll have a social gospel. If the functional mission of our church becomes self-esteem for everybody, we'll have a therapy gospel. If the functional mission is church growth, we'll have a pragmatic gospel. What gets it in? Eventually, if, if your objective is church growth, what do I do and what can I do and not be counted out as a heretic to get people's... Uh, in the seat. That's what I'm going to do. That's what will begin to happen. Now, do I want to see social justice? Absolutely. 
I can show you some ministries that come out of Briarwood for it. I can take you to Fairfield. I can take you to Birmingham. I can bring you to all of them. But that was the result of people being discipled. And our first African-American member went and started Lois's home. Another African-American started Restoration Academy. Another African-American has now, another guy married to an African-American is doing Aspire. It's a mentoring ministry with hundreds of young African-Americans being mentored by others. Do I want to see that? Yes. But how do I get that? I get that best by doing discipleship as a pastor. That's what that's how you get it out there. And a discipleship that teaches all that he has commanded. So do I want to see church growth? Absolutely. I want to see more Christians, more missionaries, more pastors, more. I want to see all of that. But that has to be a consequence of my ministry, a valued consequence, a desired consequence. But it's not the objective because whatever becomes my functional mission will ultimately shape the message. And that's where I believe our, uh, our abandonment of our confession will come. It will not come by theological con- persuasion. It will come by missional camouflage, and uh, whereby the mission of the church gets off target. That's where it'll come. And uh, do I believe the church's own mission? Absolutely, I've just said it. But it's his mission. And not the consequences of the mission. It is his mission that makes it, keeps us focused. Number three, that's the, and that's where I end up with. And this one really won't fit on a bumper sticker. In fact, unless you got a really big car, all right? Do not, do not let valued, needed, and desirable consequences of being on mission. Do not let valued, needed, and desirable consequences of being on mission and on message and in ministry become your functional mission in ministry. Do not let needed, valued, desired consequences of being on mission, on message, and in ministry become your functional mission and message in ministry. Well, I'm sorry, I was going to give you five minutes. You got three minutes, all right, uh, for questions. Um, so let me give you those three again, because I, I would rather be accurately reported on this one and hopefully get you to think through it. The church, number one was the church's mission is narrow and focused while a Christian's mission is broad and comprehensive. That is the product of our narrow mission. Pastors are to make sure the church stays focused, leaders of the state may focus, and while they model the comprehensive nature of it. Ultimately, your functional mission in ministry will shape your message. Well, I hope you, I hope you hear that. And then I hope you hear this one. Do not let valued, needed, and desirable consequences of being on mission, on message, and in ministry become your functional mission in ministry. I have one final word, but do I, are there any burning questions, challenges uh, that you want to surface? You got about a minute. Yes, sir. Okay.
I've stayed on the mission. Well, I could say come to the Embers to a Flame conference in uh, <laughs> January, but I won't do that. Uh, I will say, um, you know, I would, I would spend some time with my elders and get something in their hands to read and discuss just maybe on a monthly basis or maybe work it into the session meeting. Let's read this and talk about it at the beginning, spend some time of prayer. And by the way, we're going to do some business. And uh, so I, I'd, I'd probably consider doing that. I'd get them exposed to churches that are on mission, on message, and in ministry. Not to unplug and plug. Don't make that mistake. But, but simply to absorb what it's like when you learn from a good preacher. You don't unplug him and plug you. You, know, you're not, you don't want to parrot him. But, but I would do that. And then um, uh, thirdly, brother, just um, are you the pastor? Okay. Well, I'd get the pastor preaching. And, uh, you know, on this, on this issue and dealing with it and thinking through it because um, that's where it starts, okay? And, um, and I, it's just a, a glorious thing uh, when you see it. Well, this deserves a lot more treatment and hopefully it gets you thinking. And if I can ever uh, be of help, I want you to uh, feel free to uh, call on me. And, uh, um, and I want to say one other thing at the end here. I, you guys need to know that uh, I... Uh, I've used some illustrations so I could just simply tell you um, that uh, this is not, um, that, this is, that this is by God's grace. And if he can do this in my life and your life to at least some degree, by no means where we need to be, then take courage of what he can do in and through your life and your ministry and your leadership. God's got you there. The Lord's with you. The Lord will uphold you and, uh, and stay on mission. Stay on message and stay in ministry. Here's my last word. Did any of y'all see the movie? Um, um, oh, I can't. I just lost the time. Uh, it was about the Navy SEALs. One guy was left and got back. Huh? Survivor? Lone survivor. Well, with Marine Corps recon eyes, you're always analyzing the decisions they made. But, um, but one of the things I loved, every encounter, They'd take hits. And the guy would turn and look to him and say, are you hit? Yeah. You know what the next question was? Are you still in the fight? Guys, you're going to get hit. I can promise you. You're going to get hit. Stay in the fight. The armor of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, and the battle is worth it. And he's already won the war. Let me pray with you. God, thank you so much for the privilege to be together. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Please bless them and use them as they stay on mission, on message, and in ministry. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They're free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.